Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. So we're in this journey through the New Testament Gospel of John. And way back in John chapter 1, we read that the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. In, in other words, Jesus is the human expression of the character, nature, and person of God. If you've met Jesus, you've met God. If you know Jesus, you know God. And so as you read through John's gospel, you realize that of all the things that Jesus did, out of all the miracles that Jesus performed, God inspired John just to record seven of them. They're known as the seven signs of the gospel of John. And as we walk through these seven signs, the belief is that we would know Jesus through them. Not just know about him, but know him. And so today's an exciting day because we're going to talk about the second of those seven signs. John chapter 4, starting at verse 46. Now he, Jesus, was back in Cana of Galilee, the place where he made the water into wine. Meanwhile, in Capernaum, there was a certain official from the king's court whose son was sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and asked that he come down and heal his son, who was on the brink of death. Jesus put him off. Unless you people are dazzled by a miracle, you refuse to believe. Let's go back just a little bit. Jesus was in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, he drove the scam artists out of the temple during Passover. Jesus had a meeting with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Nicodemus made his way to Jesus at night because he had some questions that he needed answered, and he thought only Jesus could. At some point, Jesus decides to move from Jerusalem in the south back to Galilee in the north. And on his way through, he passes through Samaria. We talked about this last week, and Jesus has this incredible conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well. He looks at her and he says, you know what you need? You need living water to quench your thirsty soul. And she listens to Jesus and believes in him, not just her, but most of her village. They hear Jesus and they believe him. Things are a lot different in Galilee. See, Galilee is the region where Jesus grew up they don't really want to listen to him. Like when Jesus starts to speak, they look and go, dude, that's just, the, that's just Joseph the carpenter's kid. Give me a break. However, the people of Galilee are very interested in Jesus' miracles. They find them entertaining and maybe even enriching. They're like, hey, Jesus, zip it, zip it. Just do something cool, okay? That'd be kind of fun. And maybe you could turn the water into wine like you did that last time. That was so Cool, And yet there's one member in the crowd that day in Cana of Galilee who is not looking for entertainment and he's not looking for enrichment. He's desperate. He's a royal, a royal court official and his son is on the brink of death. So he says, hey, Jesus, could you come back to Capernaum with me? It was about a day and a half walk to get here. Could you come back to Capernaum with me and heal my son? He's on the brink of death. And the crowd from Galilee looks and says, yeah, that'd be cool. Hey, Jesus, why don't you do that? That would be so entertaining. That'd be so amazing. Why don't you heal that guy's kid? That'd be awesome. And Jesus looks at them and he says, you don't get it. 
I'm not here for your entertainment, but this royal court official is not put off. He says this, come down, Jesus. It's life or death for my son. It's life or death for my son. There are moments in your life of absolute perspective and absolute clarity. When all the stuff that mattered yesterday, it don't matter anymore. All the stuff that you cared about so much yesterday, you don't care about it anymore. All the stuff that annoyed you about yesterday, it's not annoying you anymore. All the hope that you had yesterday, you don't have it anymore. That's the moment that this man is in. Everything that mattered yesterday doesn't matter. All the hope I had yesterday don't have it anymore. And that's what I want to talk about today as we walk through this story, the second of the seven signs in the gospel. I want to talk about hope. I want to talk about hope. Three things I want to say about hope. And before I get into my three points, I want to apologize right up front. I tried to come up with easy, short points for people who love to take notes, but I just could not. You know, hope lost, hope found, hope floats. You know, I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. So they're long, and I apologize, okay? So point one, in a moment of clarity, I come to the startling realization that my life and this world are existentially and eventually, by definition, Hopeless. In a moment of clarity like this man is having, I come to this startling realization that my life and this world existentially and eventually are by definition hopeless. His son's on the brink of death. All that stuff that mattered yesterday, it don't matter anymore. There's something really profound about the relationship between a parent and a child. I remember when our daughter Emma was eight months old. She got RSV, respiratory system virus. She couldn't breathe. You know, and we, and we took her to the hospital and they put a little mask on her. This tiny little eight month old with a mask on and she stayed there for four days. And if you talk to my wife, Corinne, or you talk to my older kids, they would say that that moment changed me. <laughs> I became a lot softer and a lot gentler after that. There's something profound about the relationship between a parent and a child. I got six kids, and every time one of them suffers, I suffer. When they struggle with physical health, when they struggle with emotional health, man, I would way rather take the struggle on myself than watch them walk through it. There's something so profound about the relationship between a parent and a child. Not long ago, I had a conversation. Someone asked me the question, what were you most scared about during COVID? What were you most scared about during COVID? Now, I, I will tell you right up front, over the last few years, I've struggled with anxiety in a number of areas of my life. So I'm not trying to brag, and I am not, most definitely not trying to be political. But the honest answer in that moment was, COVID didn't scare me. Okay? So COVID didn't scare me. They were like, come on, come on. you got to think, like, what scared you about COVID? So I really, really thought about it. I said, you know what scared me during COVID? Well, maybe not scared me, but you know what concerned me during COVID was division. When I saw families divided, when I saw friendships divided, when I even saw some churches divided. So grateful that Southside wasn't that church. 
that somewhere along the line we realize that our perspective is a lot bigger than politics. We got bigger fish to fry. He said, okay, well, wait a minute, though. Think deeper. Think personal. Imagine this. Imagine this. You're sick. You can't breathe. You got COVID. You're not getting better. You have to go into the hospital, and they can't help you, and you're going to die, and your wife and your kids can't come visit you. Does that scare you? And I sat there, and I tried to put myself into that moment, into that situation. I said, you know what? It just makes me sad. So what do you mean? I said, I feel sad because I imagine myself in that situation and the overarching feeling I would have, listen to this, the overarching feeling that I would have in that moment is sadness because I let my kids down by getting sick. There's something mystical, there's something profound about the relationship between a parent and a child. This man's son is on the brink of death. Everything that mattered yesterday, it doesn't matter anymore. Everything that he cared about yesterday, he doesn't care about anymore. All the hope that he thought he had yesterday, he doesn't have it anymore. If you ask me for one existential proof of the existence of God, it would be these moments. The moment that this guy is having. This moment of clarity, when you come to the starting realization that my life in this world, existentially and eventually are by definition hopeless. Listen now, listen now. And so now I'm left with a choice. Do I go it alone? Here I am. Existentially and eventually, my life in this world are by definition hopeless. So do I go it alone in this dark, desperate, and dangerous world? Do I manufacture hope on my own? Is that the way that I'm going to live my life? Or am I going to give in? Am I going to, am I going to respond to that longing deep down inside of me that says, Come on, man. There's got to be more. There's got to be a hope that transcends my life and transcends this world. And there is, and it's found in Jesus. Seven hundred years before Jesus was even born, Isaiah looked ahead to that hope. Old Testament prophet Isaiah looked ahead to the birth of Jesus. He said this It was our weaknesses that he carried, it was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. There's something about those moments of clarity. When everything that mattered yesterday, it simply doesn't matter anymore. C.S. Lewis said it this way. God whispers to us. God whispers to us in our pleasure. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. He shouts in our pain. It's God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. When you have this moment of clarity that says, my life in this world, existentially and eventually, are, by definition, hopeless. So do I manufacture hope on my own or is there hope that comes that transcends my life in this world? So point two, second thing I want to say about hope. In a moment of faith, in a moment of faith, 
I come to understand that the reason why Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped into human history, the reason why he lived, died, and rose again was to pour his hope into my life. This man's walked for a day and a half. He says, Jesus, this is life or death. My son is on the brink of death. Jesus simply replied, go home. Your son lives. The man believed the bare word Jesus spoke and headed home. Interesting, isn't it? Because this isn't what the man asked for. What did he ask for? Hey, Jesus, can you walk a day and a half back to Capernaum with me? Can can you come back with me to my house and let's heal, and and, and you can heal my son? And now Jesus says, hey, go home, he's fine. Now there's gotta be at least part of that guy that's like, that sounds awesome, Jesus. Thank, you know, that's great. Why don't you just come with me, though? You know, why don't we just do that? Why don't you just walk back to Capernaum with me? I'm sure my son's fine, but on the off chance that you didn't quite, it's a long-distance healing, on the off chance that it didn't work, you can just, but he doesn't do that. Jesus says, go home, your son's well. And I wonder if he didn't turn around and walk away whether his son would have been healed. In a moment of faith, I understand it that the reason why Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped into human history, the reason why he lived, died, and rose again was to pour his hope into my life. There's really two ways that people come to faith in Jesus. Explanation or experience. On his way back, his servants intercepted him and announced, your son lives. Your son lives. He asked them, hey, what time? He asked them what time he he began to get better. They said, the fever broke yesterday at one o'clock. The father knew that that was the very moment Jesus had said, your son lives. That settled it. That settled it. Not only he, but his entire household believed that settled it. What time did he get better? One o'clock. You gotta be kidding me. That's exactly when Jesus said he would be better. That settled it. He believed. There's, there's two ways that we can come to believe, that we can come to know Jesus. One is explanation and one is experience. Explanation is when you hear someone explain Jesus. Last week we talked about that conversation that Jesus had with a Samaritan woman at the well, right? He says to her, he says to her entire village, you need living water to quench your thirsty soul. And something about that explanation impacted them. They were desert people. They knew what it was to be thirsty physically, but they also knew what it was to be thirsty spiritually, and so they responded to Jesus through that explanation, and they put their faith in him. The story today, though, says sometimes you come to faith through experience. Your son lives. What time did he get better? One o'clock. You gotta be kidding me. That settles it. That settles it. He came to believe in Jesus through experience. That's my story. I had heard Jesus explained. I had heard him described, I had heard him defended really, really well. But for me, it wasn't until the middle of the night, in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer, Alberta. I came to the end of myself, and I cried out to God, and it was as if God said, you don't have to yell, I'm right here. And in that moment, at the core of who I am, I knew it, I knew it. My sins were forgiven, my hurts would be healed, the best was yet to come. And since that day, I've known that I know that I know that I know that I know him. Explanation or experience. Really blessed at this church. Really blessed at this church. 
that every single week people come to know Jesus or they get to know him better. Sometimes it's through explanation. Maybe for some of you that's happening today. You're having one of those moments of clarity. Those moments where everything that mattered yesterday doesn't matter anymore. Those moments that you realize, man, I need a hope that transcends my life in this world. Come on. And you understand that hope is found in Jesus. Or maybe for you, it's more of an experience that you're having today. Maybe the reason you're here is an experience. I mean, someone's been inviting you over and over and over and over again to Southside Church, and you're just, shut up, stop inviting me. But something about today, you knew you had to be here. God's speaking to your soul through explanation or through experience. When you know God, when you know God, when you know God, he changes everything. This was now the second sign Jesus gave after having come from Judea into Galilee. It's really interesting because we've seen two signs now. Both happened in Cana of Galilee. The, the, the first sign was on the, the best day ever. Jesus turned the water into wine. Best day ever. Okay, wedding reception, big party, party of the year, best day ever. And when Jesus turned the water into wine, we remember that wine represents joy in the Bible. So Jesus wants us to live with joy. Jesus brings joy. But, but, but the second sign is not the best day ever. The second sign is the worst day ever. There's a deathly ill child. And so we're reminded in the second sign that our joy must have a foundation in healing. Let me say that again. Our joy must have a foundation in healing. In other words, I can't be joyful if I don't believe, if I don't know that there's a hope that transcends my life in this world. Jesus is a healer. Sometimes he heals on this side of eternity like he did for that little boy at one o'clock. That settled it. Sometimes he heals on the other side of eternity, but he always heals. It's interesting because the same John who wrote this gospel, the same John who wrote this gospel also wrote the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And in that book, what we see is that Jesus is gonna come back again one day and he's gonna roll up history like a scroll. He's gonna make all things new. New heaven, new earth, new me, new you. John says that he's gonna wipe every tear from our eye. There's gonna be more, no more death, no more crying, no more mourning, and no more pain. We will all be completely and totally, eternally healed. This past summer, my wife Corinne and I were taking our three-year-old grandson Noah for a walk on a trail near the Vedder River. Well, truthfully, we were walking. He decided to run for it. You know, he's just just running, saying, I got super speed. He's got his Spider-Man shoes on, you know. He's like, I got speed, super speed, Papa, watch this. And he's just flying, and it's going really great until he hits this dip in the trail, loses his balance, boom, he's down. And I'm like, ah. And so I go running over there. My first emotion is anger. I'm not mad at him, I'm just mad at the trail. I'm mad at people that build trails. I'm just angry that it happened, you know? Because I see he's skinned his knee, and he skinned his hand, and it's bad. And I'm just heartbroken, you know? I pick him up in my arms and he's crying and crying and crying and crying and crying and I'm just heartbroken. But at the same time, I know that it's gonna, I mean, it's skin knee, it's gonna be okay. And so I wait and it takes a long time and eventually he says, I get a Band-Aid? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He loves Band-Aids, okay? So I knew it was gonna be fine, you know? We're gonna go, we went home and I gave him like 20 Band-Aids and uh, 
I wonder sometimes if from God's perspective, that's what this life is a little bit like. It's a hard trail, this world we live in, full of danger and darkness and despair. And we get hurt. And I think it's important to note that what hurts us makes God, makes God angry. That injustice makes God angry. That abuse makes God angry. That neglect makes God angry. It really, really does. And it breaks his heart. It breaks his heart. When you're hurt. In this dangerous, dark, desperate trail that we call life. And yet, and yet, and yet, he knows. I'm not, look, I'm not looking to make light of anything you're walking through, but he knows something that maybe you and I don't know. It's going to be okay. Because he looks ahead to that one day when he's going to pick us up in his arms. He's going to wipe every tear away. He's going to send us off down that trail that runs forever and ever and ever. Hope. Hope. Point one. In a moment of clarity, I come to the startling realization that my life in this world, existentially and eventually, are by definition hopeless. Point two. In a moment of faith... I come to understand that the reason why Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped into human history, why he lived, died, and rose again, was to pour his hope into my life. Third point. As I was reading through this story over and over and over again, there's this one part that kept coming to me. That settled it. <laughs> it's just, I love that. That settled it. That settled it. Not only he, but his entire household believed. His entire household. A royal court official would have had a household, staff, and families of like 150 people. His entire household believed. Point three. In a moment of purpose, it hits me. In a moment of purpose, it hits me. The reason that I was placed on this planet, in this place, for this moment, is so that... I could take the hope that he poured into my life and bring it into this dark and dangerous and desperate world. In a moment of purpose, it hits me. The reason that I was placed on this planet, in this moment, in this place, is so that I could take the hope that he's poured into my life and bring it to a dark, dangerous, and desperate world. My best buddy growing up was Grant King. Grant King. We met when we were seven years old. We lived on a acreage in a subdivision full of acreages about 20 minutes outside of Red Deer, Alberta. And one day I was shooting hoops and Grant came walking up. And the first thing that Grant King ever said to me was this. My dad died this morning in a work accident. Being seven years old, I didn't really know what to say to that, so I said, you want to shoot hoops? And, uh, and he did, and we did. We shot hoops. And that began a friendship we spent almost every single day together from that moment until we were 20 years old. We grew up together. When we became teenagers, music became a big deal to us, which I think that's kind of the case for all teenagers, but it's funny to me because 80s music, 80s music, we grew up in the 80s, 1980s music was not, how do I put this, it was not intellectually hard-hitting, you, know you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't philosophically super challenging. Like, I was thinking of some lyrics of some 80s songs earlier, like, um, abracadabra, I want to reach out and grab you, you know? 
a do, 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 da, da, da is all I want to say to you. These are actual lyrics. Um, you spin me right round, baby, right round like a record, baby, right round, round, round. <laughs> I could go on and on and on. Karma, 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 chameleon. You come and go. You come and go. I remember one particular album that I purchased, it had a number one song on it. The entirety of the lyrics for the entire, went number one in the 80s. The entirety of the lyrics went like this. I memorized them. Oh yeah. Chicka chicka. That was the lyrics of the song. That was the song, I'm telling you, I'm not making this up. And so in so many ways, Grant and I, we were children of the 80s. We were not exactly intellectually hard-hitting either, you know, or philosophically challenging. We had a simple philosophy of life. If I look back at it now, it would be this. Life is a movie about us. And everybody else in the world are character actors meant to just play their role. Life is a movie about us. In fact, the name of the movie would have been this, The Fun Life of Grant and Mike. And everybody else just needed to play their role. That's kind of how it worked. And we kind of had it down to a bit of a science. We knew the roles that people should play. Women, girls, this is the role that girls needed to play in our movie, The Fun Life of Grant and Mike. You needed to fall in love with us, or at least in like with us, because that made us feel good, and it boosted our self-esteem, you know? And for guys, you could fit into one of two roles. You could either just be part of the fun. You could be part of the fun life of Grant and Mike and just participate and help us to have fun. And that was great. You would be our friend. But you could also be our foe if you wanted. And then we would have fun by trying to destroy your life. So that was the simple 1980s version of the fun life of Grant and Mike. So by the time we turned 16 years old, we got fake IDs. And hanging out almost always looked the same. It was drinking, fighting girls. Not necessarily, but almost always in that exact order. So somewhere along the line, someone introduced Grant and I to a different band, and, and that different band was called U2. And U2 was interesting because their lyrics were a little deeper than, oh yeah, chicka chicka, okay, just a, a, a little bit de deeper than that. And I remember we were 19 years old, and, and U2 had put out this concert video called Rattle and Hum, and Grant bought it. So went over to Grant's house that night. The plans were really simple, just as we were, very simple people. Uh, drinking, fighting, and girls, but we were gonna watch this video first. So Grant had picked up a video cassette that we were gonna watch on his video cassette recorder, a VCR, never heard of it, have you? I don't care, Google it, okay? So, so Grant's gonna put the video cassette into the video cassette recorder, but I want you to think of something too. So we're living this movie, right? This movie is called The Fun Life of Grant and Mike. The Fun Life of Grant and Mike. And on the outside, you would've looked and go, man, Grant and Mike, look at those guys have fun. Now, I didn't feel like it was very fun. I'm not sure how Grant felt, but I would, deep down inside of me, I didn't feel fun. I felt hurt and broken and hopeless. We're just living the fun life of Grant and Mike, just doing everything we can, drinking, fighting girls, drinking, fighting girls, drinking, fighting girls. And so we sit down in Grant's house, puts the, puts the uh, video cassette into the VCR, and he pushes play, and this is the song that played. The Irish have been coming to America for years. Going back to the Great Famine when the Irish were on the run from starvation. And a British government that couldn't care less. 
right up to today, you know, there are more Irish immigrants here in America today than ever. Some illegal, some legal. A lot of them are just running from high unemployment. Some run from the troubles in Northern Ireland, from the hatred of the H-blocks and torture. Others from wild acts of terrorism, like we had today in a town called Inniskillen, where 11 people lie dead, many more injured on a Sunday, bloody Sunday.
song ended, I picked up the remote control and I pressed rewind because that's what you had to do back then. And we listened to the song again and 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 again. Now don't get me wrong, I'm sure that our night probably went according to schedule, drinking, fighting, girls, but something changed in me or at least began to change in me in that moment. I came to this conclusion that the story that we were living wasn't big enough. That the fun life of Grant and Mike wasn't a big enough story to live. Now it was still a few months before I found hope by meeting Jesus on the south hill of Red Deer, but something began to change in me that night. And I came to this conclusion, man, if I could ever find hope, if I could ever find hope, then surely, surely I could bring hope to other people in this world who need it. Because I started to think to myself of all the battles that are raging all over our world in any given moment, right this second. People aren't, aren't living a story called the fun life of Grant and Mike. They're just trying to live. They're just trying to believe that there might, there might, there might possibly be hope for them somewhere. That's their story. And I thought to myself, man, if I could ever find hope, I would sure want to help others. And so a few months later, I, I met Jesus and, and he filled me with his hope and I tried. I tried to live a kind life. I have tried. <laughs> I have tried to, to bring hope to others. You know, coming to this conclusion that the reason that I was placed on this planet in this moment, in this place, is to take the hope that Jesus poured into my life and bring it to this dark, dangerous, and desperate world. I tried. But just this Thursday morning, it hit me. I thought of the, one of the last conversations I ever had with my best buddy, Grant King. See, shortly after I met Jesus, I moved out of Red Deer, I moved out here. And not too long after that, Grant moved to Australia and went completely off the grid. <laughs> but when we were 22 years old, Corinne and I were gonna get married. And I, and, and I got a hold of Grant and I said, Grant, would you be my best man? And he said he, he, said he would. In fact, we went tree planting way up in northern BC together for a month before our wedding, trying to make as much money as we could. And I remember as we were driving back from tree planting to Red Deer for the wedding, we stopped in Penticton for a couple nights. We pitched our tent and camped. And one morning, we were both real scruffy from tree planting. And I looked at Grant and I said, dude, you got red in your beard. And he didn't say anything, he just walked away. I was like, it's no big deal, you know, it's just red in your beard. And he, and, he, and he walked up to the side view mirror of my car and he bent down and, and he looked at his beard and he says, man, thank you for saying that. He said, I don't really remember my dad. But my mom told me that he had red in his beard. I thought of that conversation this week, you know? And I thought of all the things that I wish I would have said in that moment. See, I didn't say anything. I don't know if it was because I was kind of in this mode, like, hey, this is the fun life of Grant and Mike. We don't have serious conversations. But I wish I could go back to that moment. I wish that I could have that moment back because 
You know what I would say to him? I'd say, do you miss your dad? What was it like growing up without him? See, if I could go back to that moment, I just want to be kind. See, I think in a moment of purpose, we get it. There's a reason we're here. <laughs> just to be kind. Just to see if we can take the hope that he's pouring into our lives and bring it to somebody else. You know, in a, in a couple weeks, we're doing this thing called All Is Bright. All Is Bright. November 26th. That's all it is. It's just us trying to come together and be kind. Because there's battles taking place all over our world all the time. There's battles taking place in this city right now. There's little kids, and the story that they're living isn't the fun life of me. The story they're living is, could there possibly be some kind of hope for me in this world? That's their story. And they're single parents, and they're trying with everything they have to manufacture not just enough hope for them, but somehow to bring hope to their little kids. And I can't help but think, that in this moment, in this moment, in this spectacular moment, what if, what if, what if we had an opportunity to do something kind? What a moment, right? So here's what I'd love you to consider doing. We set a goal to have 700 people, 700 people serve this year at Always Bright. Would you be willing to sign up and serve? You can text that keyword bright and serve. It's about double the amount of people that we've ever had serve at All Is Bright before, but it would be great. I, I would even go a step further. Would you be willing, this is crazy, listen to this, listen to this. Would you be willing to potentially, to possibly, to maybe change a plan so you can be there? See, here, here's what I know, here's what I've known for many, many, many years. This is the moment. This is the moment. Oh, there'll be more. But this is the moment, and we can choose to step into it or not. We can choose to be kind or not. It's funny the way Southside work. When we say, hey, we've committed $250,000 to All Is Bright this year, let me make sure you understand what we mean when we say that, okay? So at some churches, what they mean when they say that is, our dream, our goal is $250,000. So if you could all give, if you could all give, we'll see if we hit $250,000. That's not the way we operate. That $250,000 is gone, whether you give or not. That's gone. Someone said to me the other day, man, why do you guys do that? Like, what if you keep doing that and then nobody gives and the church folds? I said, what a way to go though, right? <laughs> like, if you're gonna go, what a way to go. <laughs> Who cares? But I guess I would ask you this. So th this is a, there'll be more. No, there'll be other moments. But what about this moment? What if, what if we were to step into it? What if we were to give? And now I'm gonna ask you something kind of crazy. What if you were to sacrifice something so that someone else could get just a little taste, just a little taste, just a little taste in the middle of their battle this year that there is a hope that transcends this dark, desperate, and dangerous world. I think it'd be worth it. Oh, there'll be other moments, but here's what I think we should do. Let's step into this one.
Three things you need to know about hope. Number one, there are moments of clarity where we come to this startling realization that my life in this world, existentially and eventually, by definition, hopeless. And yet, point two, there are moments of faith when we come to understand that the reason why Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped into human history, why he lived, died, and rose again, was to pour his hope into my life. And then point three, in a moment of purpose, I get it, I get it. The reason I was placed on this planet, in this moment, in this place, is so that I could take that hope that Jesus has poured into my life and bring it, and bring it to the best of my ability in little ways and big ways and bring it to a dark and dangerous and desperate world. Let's pray. Jesus, we first of all wanna thank you because you're so kind. Everyone watching online, everybody here in person, one thing that we know for absolute certainty is that you love us fully, completely, and unconditionally. Thank you. Thank you. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I just want to ask you, are you having a moment of clarity today? Are you at a moment where you've come to realize that you need a hope that transcends your life and transcends this world, that you need more? And I want to tell you that Jesus is the more that you've been looking for all along, that he came and he died and he rose again so that you can have strength for today, hope for tomorrow, and the promise of eternal life. Life, actual life, starts now and stretches into forever. If that's you, I'm telling you, everything that needed to be done has been done. All you need to do is receive it. If that's you today, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, just raise your hand because I want to pray for you right now. Nice and high if you don't mind. Amazing. Amazing. Online, you can do the same thing if it's safe. (laughs) If you just raised your hand, you can just continue to pray silently. I'm going to pray out loud. So Jesus, we do. We thank you again. As you said to Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he sent you. And we believe in you. We ask you to be our savior, Jesus. Forgive our sins, give us a fresh start. Thank you that you rose again, that you, you can fill us with hope today. Hope, hope, life, eternal forever. And Jesus, for all of us, no matter how long church has been our thing, no matter how long we've known you, we just wanna say thank you. We wanna take this moment and say thank you. Thank you that you gave us a hope that transcends this world. You gave us a hope that transcends this world. And now I ask God, would you please invite us into this moment, to this moment where you allow us to take that hope that you've given and give it to others. You promise in your Bible that when we sow generously, we will receive generously. What a life, what a life, what a life, what a life we live. So much bigger than the fun life of Grant and Mike, so much better, so much bigger. We thank you, we love you, in your name, amen. Let's celebrate. So if you wanna be a part of All Is Bright this year, and I sure hope you do, you can text the keyword bright to that number. There's a station set up in the lobby, and other than that, I love you guys a lot. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.